So this week I uh, learned a few things about some marriages in our church. This Wednesday, Mary Michelson celebrated her 48th wedding anniversary to Brad, so that's exciting. And then Dale and Jackie Needfelt have been married for 50 years this, this March, and today are up at Camp Victory celebrating with their family. So that's exciting, and a great milestone to see God's faithfulness in marriage. Well, how many of you have played on a, a sports team of some sort? And so, have you ever noticed how coaches kind of tell you the same thing over and over and over and over again? Move your feet. Watch the ball. Keep your body between you and the goal. They keep kind of telling you the same thing. Keep your head up. On a, keep your head on a swivel. You ever experienced that? Or maybe all of us are, are children of parents, right? Have had our parents kind of tell us the same thing over and over again, Right? Hey, be sure to put your dishes in the dishwasher. Say thank you and please. Look both ways before you cross the street. Don't talk to strangers. Anyone ever experienced that? Am I the only one? Or how about many of you have been in church and heard pastors say a lot of the same thing over and over again. You need to put your faith in Christ. You need to depend upon Him. Trust Him. You cannot do it yourself, but God can do it in it and through you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord, and apart from you, I have no good thing. Over and over and over. Why? Why do they repeat themselves? Why do they say the same thing? Has senility set in? Are you not listening? Is it that perhaps they lack creativity? Maybe they're not seeing the results they desire. No, the reason is they want to download, impart something important into you that you will never forget it. Hold on to it. Apply it. Live it out. And not be moved from it. That's the reason for the repetition, 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 repetition. To ground you in that truth, that reality. The Apostle Paul has written this letter of the Colossians, and if you want to open your Bibles up there, we'll be in chapter 2. To this young church in Colossae, a church he has never met in person, never met in the flesh, but it was planted by one of his protégés, by a man named Epaphras. And Paul, as an apostle, sent one of Jesus Christ, of his gospel and his good news, he is seeking through this letter to ground them in Christ, in His good news that He told, as we looked at last week, was once at one time a mystery and now made known. 
known to them who were once outside of the people of God, now part of that people of God. And it's in this letter he will repeat much of what he said in the first chapter in the second, to ground them in Christ. Why? Because there are some that are trying to move them from that faith, from that hope. And he wants them to be grounded, rooted, stable, and built up in Christ. So when that comes, they can stand. So let me pray, and then we'll dig into Paul's repetition. So Lord, you're good. You're good in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for him. And we pray, Lord, that you will open the eyes of our heart to this, your word today, and help us to be rooted and grounded, maybe in things we've heard over and over again, and yet we need to be reminded so that we will not be moved from them. Because, Lord Jesus, in you is life, and it comes from no other source. So, again, Lord, be glorified in the preaching of your word. Open the eyes of our heart that we might receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world, world rather than Christ Jesus. The first thing that he wants to download into them is encouragement. Encouragement. And that starts out actually with himself. A personal investment in family that he's not met yet. He says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. Paul is kind of repeating or reiterating what he said in chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. As we talked about last week, Paul's not saying I'm adding something to Christ's atonement, but he is saying there is a price to be paid in order for the, uh, the gospel to advance. 
But here he's acknowledging to his readers, yeah, we, we have never met. We've never met in the flesh. And he's wanting to you know, make this known to the church here in Colossae. He also includes the, the church in Laodicea, which is about 12 miles north. We meet them in, in uh, Revelation chapter 3. Also another church in Hierapolis is also in the same area. But he says, I am contending for you. I'm contending for you. I'm agonizing, literally is what the word comes from, what the word is in, in the Greek. Now, how's he doing that? First of all, in prayer. He is on his knees for them, contending for them. And I know that sounds like the Christian spiritual answer, but it is, it is significant spiritual warfare. Contending for a church where Satan is trying to derail them. He's also in, in sending them in the urgency of this letter, saying, I care about you. I'm concerned about you. I want to reinforce your faith in Christ through this letter. And I'm fighting on my knees on for you. Because we're family. We're family. Even though we've never met. Do you see those orphans we saw on the, on the screen earlier with Chris? They're family. Even though we've never met. Who are you contending for on your knees for their sake? Maybe it's, I hope you'll take the challenge to be praying for those orphans. Maybe it's our brothers and sisters in Ukraine as they're fighting through a very dark time. Maybe it's for brothers and sisters in Cuba. Maybe it's our brothers and sisters with Meg. Maybe it's a mother of young children for a child we just dedicated. But all of us need somebody to come alongside of them to contend for them in prayer. We all need that. And Paul's saying, I'm paying that price for you guys. Number two, the encouragement of heart. Number two, my goal, chapter, I mean, verse two, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart. Again, Paul's kind of repeating this, this thought of encouragement. He was encouraged himself in gratitude and hearing about their faith in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. But the Greek idea of heart here is not just the center of your emotions or your passions. It actually revolves around the very center of your person. It's almost like your soul, I guess, is how we'd look at it, and the source of your willingness and your thinking. And the word encouragement in the Greek is the word we use, parakleo. It's a word we use oftentimes to refer to the Holy Spirit even. But it is someone who comes alongside. Someone who comes alongside of you. Paul sent Tychicus, as we find out in chapter 4, verse 8, to come alongside them, to encourage them. Who is that person that's encouraged you, who's come alongside you? Or that person that you need to come alongside of and encourage? We all have those people we need them. Cheerleaders in our life. 
Someone who comes alongside and reminds us. Reminds us of God is faithful. Reminds us of who we are in Christ. Because we need to be reminded. Because we get discouraged with ourselves, don't we? We need to be reminded that He can be trusted. And that He's bigger than our circumstances. And He can do more than we can ask or imagine. We need to be reminded who we are in Christ and what God can do. What do we need to do to take that next step of faith? This is what Paul wants to download into this young church. Are we downloading that into somebody else? Number three, he wants to be encouraged that they would be united in love. Literally knit together in love. As he reminds them that they have love for all the saints in chapter 1, verse 5. It's the sense of belonging that you've been brought together because you're in Christ. Folks, the reason we're here is because we're in Christ. We're knit together because we are in Christ. And we extend love to one another because we are in Christ. And we show grace and kindness to each other because we are in Christ. It's interesting that Jesus will say, one of the hallmarks of my disciples will be that they have love for one another. You know, we talk about our life together groups. Because that's what they really are. They're groups where we're doing life together in front of the Lord Jesus. We're walking together, the good and the bad and the ugly. But that is knitting us together in love. Paul wants them to be encouraged for that to be their experience. Number four, he wants them to experience the essential treasure of fully knowing Christ. And that was the only way I could express this huge run-on sentence that's going to happen next. So that you may have the full riches of the complete understanding. Complete understanding. Literally, the confidence in how God is putting this together. In order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. That this was God's plan for how He's going to redeem sinful men and women. This is God's plan for how He's going to redeem broken humanity. This is God's plan for how He's going to make Himself known. And it was revealed to the Gentiles, people who at one time were completely separate. And this is what Paul says, this is the mystery that's been revealed to you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, as we saw in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And about Christ, it's in verse 3, it says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, this is a community that values wisdom and knowledge. Well, if you're looking for that, if you're looking for wisdom and knowing God and who He really is, and, and you don't know where to look, it's found in Christ. He is the, the image of the invisible God. 
chapter 1, verse 15, in whom the fullness of deity dwells, chapter 1, verse 19. And so this is an answer to Paul's prayer in chapter 1, verse 9, that we continue to ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives as we're in Christ. I want you to know Him. I want you to experience all the wisdom and knowledge of knowing Him fully, knowing the treasure that He is as Christ has been revealed to you. Because, you see, there are people who are saying, that that Jesus thing is not so important. It's good, but it's not as essential as you think. Oh, yes, it is. And this is the reason for his repetition. Verse 5, that in knowing so as not to be deceived. Verse 4, I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And we're going to kind of talk about this a little bit more when we get to verse 8. But there are those who are going to come to the Colossians, and they're going to put together what what makes kind of fine-sounding arguments. Well, that sounds plausible. That sounds reasonable. Explanations for why Christ shouldn't be central. Why Christ should not be the cornerstone. Arguments like, well, you know, what you really need to do is follow the Old Testament law. That was a real reality in that time. In our day and age, there's a whole ton of things. Mostly centered on from the self being the center of truth rather than God being the center of truth. But something like, you know, because you are God's child, you are royalty. And therefore, you should be living like a king, like a queen, and God wants to give you a Cadillac or a Mercedes. And he wants you to experience, have your best life now. Which is a truncation of God's word. God does give us good thing. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. But the message of the gospel is, This is not all there is. God is coming to redeem a broken world. Not to give you everything here. And in fact, there might be some giving up of some things on this heaven to have the real treasure. But fine-sounding arguments are going to come your way. So beware. Be anchored in Christ. And last of all, the spiritual presence of a spiritual leader, verse 5. For I am absent, for though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit. I'm wrestling in prayer again for you. I'm agonizing through the Holy Spirit that you keep Christ central. And in doing so, I am present in your struggle as people try and move you away from Christ. You know, it's interesting, as there's a crisis in somebody's life, whether it's a medical crisis or what have you, and the saints pray for somebody, and the people of God pray for somebody, so often I hear the testimony, I felt the prayers of God's people. I felt His presence, like God was 
really coming alongside of me through the prayers of the saints. I don't know if you know who Al Watts is here in town. He's a, a brother in Christ up at Christ Community. But he had a massive heart attack last summer on the Douglas Trail. And he was almost dead. And they brought him in and the prayer chain went out throughout the community. And Al said, I felt the prayers of the saints. And it brought me from death to life. This is what Paul's saying. I am praying for you. I am agonizing for you in prayer. I am present with you. And then he continues on to say, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm you are in your faith. I like what I'm seeing. I'm encouraged in your steadfast faith. Continue. That encourages me. Keep it up. And so now he moves from encouragement to exhortation. This is the action steps. This is what I want you to keep doing. To build in Christ from the ground up. Because Jesus is the foundation, if you will. Verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Let's cut that in half. Start with the premise that Jesus is Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the Messiah, is Lord. Points to his deity. Points to his deity. In the Greek Old Testament, instead of the tetragrammaton, which is, means Yahweh, it usually puts the word Lord there, which is kurios. And that can mean many things. It can mean, you know, one who's in charge. But it pointed, in the Greek Old Testament, it pointed to the fact that the God is the God of the whole universe, and He's in charge of it all. And so when you get to the New New Testament, and we hear that Jesus is Lord, that's pointing to the fact that Jesus is God. He's the one who's in charge. And because He is God in the flesh, by placing our faith in Him, as you received Him as Messiah, as you received Him as Lord, as the authority of the universe, continue to live your lives in Him. Literally continue to walk in Him. It's not just an intellectual decision, yes, that Jesus, God in the flesh, lived, died, and rose from the dead. That's, that's good to know. And to put your faith in Him is where your salvation comes from. But to now continue to live a life that is obedient to Him, that demonstrates trust and faith in Him. Continue to walk in that way just as you received Him. As you put your faith in Him, as John 1.12 says, to as many as received Him, even those who believed in His name, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. That means it impacts how you live, what you value, what kingdom you're living for, and His reign. Continue to walk in Him. Chapter 1, verse 10 talks about walking in a manner pleasing to the Lord. Walk it out. 
So that's the first exhortation. Number two, and this is a combination of mixed metaphors, grounding or building yourself up in Christ. Verse 7, rooted and built up in Him. Let's just take it apart here, okay? Rooted. It's a horticulture metaphor here. Everyone knows that a tree's foundation is found in how well a tree is rooted. How its roots go down. And are they rotten? Are they shallow? Are they deep? And who you're supposed to be rooted in is Jesus Christ. He is the one you put your roots down into. Rooted in Him. And when you're rooted in Him, it starts to bear fruit of who He is. It's very similar to what Jesus was trying to communicate in John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're not rooted in Him, you're not going to bear fruit for Him. So we move from a horticulture to a building metaphor. Being built up in Him. The goal of a house or a building is never just to have a great foundation. Okay? You can lay down a great slab, then you go, okay, what's next? What is this supposed to be? What is this for? It's the purpose for which it is built. In this case, it's to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ in His kingdom and to be built up in Him. Not just, okay, I've made a decision that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Lord, but to be built up in Him. To grow up in Him, if you will. And buildings that are most effectively built are usually in relation to the foundation, the cornerstone itself. Paul will say it like this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Talking about God's household. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. We are being built up, what we do here for Christ, in order to reflect Him because He is that cornerstone. Strengthened in Him, this is a legal metaphor, which means to, to guarantee or to stabilize as you were taught. Taking the Word of God, especially the Gospel. Taking at His Word. And in this case, it was taught to them by a man named Epaphras. He's the one who lays that foundation of teaching. He's the one who lays it down. But faith is like a muscle, Right? The more you use it, the stronger it gets. The more it's exercised, the stronger and more powerful it becomes. It's like what Jesus says in His Sermon on the Mount at the very end of chapter 7. It says, the person that takes my word and applies it or obeys it, they're like a person that built their house on the rock, right? And so when the storm comes, it holds. It's strong. The person who has my word and doesn't obey or doesn't apply it, the storm comes and that house falls. There's no strength there. 
Because you've not proved the faithfulness of God's Word. This is being built up and strengthened in your face. In your faith. Not face. In your faith. Yes, even the pastor slips every once in a while. As you were taught. Let me ask you a question. I don't know about you, but there are sometimes there are challenges in God's Word that He reveals to me, and I'm saying, am I exercising my faith and trusting Him in this area? To build up this area? Because there are lots of commands in God's Word. What's, a, what's a, an area that you need to be built up in to obey that you might become stronger in that area? Let me point out one maybe that might work for you. And overflowing with thankfulness. This is an abundance metaphor. It's like a, a fountain that's just bubbling over with water. Or maybe from Psalm uh, 23, verse 5, where it says, My cup runneth over. It's this abundance that's upflowing. But what's supposed to be upflowing here is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to God. And let's face it, let's be honest, sometimes it's easier to be thankful than others. When things are going well, it's easy to be thankful. When things aren't going so well, it's challenging. Isn't it? You know, in this letter, there are five commands to be thankful. Sometimes it's just, and be thankful, is, is the word, is the command. It's all over the New Testament. In this letter, let me just talk about one that's already been repeated. Colossians 1.12, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. So, thankfulness for that inheritance. But then there are things like Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfulness can be tough. Why is it there? I think because it's, it's a safety valve for our hearts. Because we can get wrapped up in the circumstances. Let me just give you an example. Friday night, I have the privilege to go to the baseball game up at Target Field. And it was an amazing night. I mean, the weather was like 72 degrees. It was a great game. I love baseball. I love watching Major League Baseball. My A's were battling the Twins, and they didn't win, but it was still a great game. It was, I just had a great time with that. I was up there with my wife and Tom Drazinski and, and his wife. We had great banter back and forth as they're Twins fans and we're A's fans. But at the end of the evening, we went back to the parking garage, right? And we're getting out, and we start making our way down, and, you know, it's a little crowded, but it's cool. We're, we're kind of making our way slowly. And then all of a sudden, the Justin Bieber concert got out next door at the Target Center. And all of a sudden, you had these 20-something Bieber fans coming in, and they wanted to get in line right away. Their cars on both sides, and they were just backing up. In it's like, okay, what, 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 what are you thinking here? I mean, 
I mean, I've been here for 15 minutes, and now you just want to be in the line right away. And it's coming in from both sides. And it was, it was downright aggressive and dangerous. And I can drive offensively, trust me. I lived in Chicago for 10 years. I know how to do that. And I'm thinking about getting out of the car and giving my peace of my mind, which I shouldn't do that. I mean, I'm getting ramped up. And then I'm realizing when I'm preaching this Sunday, and Carrie puts on some nice praise music, right? And as this is happening, as people are being rude and taking advantage of us, I said, you know what? I do not want to let my frustration make me lose my thankfulness. Thankfulness for a great evening that was really grace to me in many ways. Somebody gave me the tickets. And the grace I have in Christ. Wouldn't that have been pathetic if I was just a grumpy old man shaking my fist at these young Bieber fans, right? When I've done a disservice to who I am in Christ. But I had to choose to be thankful. Lord, thank you. Thank you that I can enjoy this great evening with friends. Thank you that I could be with my wife. Thank you that I had the opportunity to be here. And thank you that I'm in Christ. <laughs> if this is the worst thing I have to go through in life, I'm in great shape. And I had to turn my heart to thankfulness. You see, thankfulness is the spiritual pressure release valve that brings us back to spiritual equilibrium. When circumstances are causing us to cower in fear or whether we're angry in resentment or in deep discouragement or I just feel blah because of the everyday. It's a reminder that God is good and all that we have, every good thing we have is from Him and He has us. He is for us. He is with us. And He can handle whatever's coming our way. And to be thankful in those moments. And sometimes, actually, God even uses those things to make us more like Jesus. But being overflowing with thankfulness is a good thing for us to all learn to employ, even though it's hard. Even though it's, it means, Jesus, you've got to do this in me because I can't do it myself, not in my flesh. So he exhorts them in these things to continue to walk in him, to be rooted in him, to be built up in him, be strengthened in faith in him and overflowing with thankfulness in him. All these things that he's encouraged them to do, all these things he's exhorted them to do, all these things that he's repeated to them, it's a warning. It's to get them ready for a warning against empty spirituality. Against, I'm going to just read verse 4. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you from fine-sounding arguments. And then verse 8. See to it that none of, no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, world rather than Christ. Now the text doesn't really fully tell us what, what they were battling what was coming their way, this false teaching. 
Some things think it was Greek elementalism, you know, worshiping the gods through worshiping the elements of, of the earth. Some think it was Judaizing mysticism, and there might be a case to be made for that in verses 16 through 19 in chapter 2. But let's just break it down. Hollow and deceptive philosophy. You know what's interesting is oftentimes when you talk with people coming from these backgrounds, they'll oftentimes you know, kind of give you a nod about your faith in Jesus. Yeah, that, that's good. That's a great starting point. And they'll you know, kind of fame either faith or, or some sort of acknowledgement. But if they even have a place in their faith system or philosophy for Jesus... It's always less than whom he has revealed himself to be. Oh yeah, Jesus. An amazing teacher. What a good example. Oh yeah, Jesus. Yeah, he was a prophet. And he is more than a prophet. Oh yeah, he's the son of God, but we're all sons and daughters of God. Jesus, well... He was a good idea. Those are maybe some principles we ought to try and live by. Well, uh, yeah, he did raise from the dead, but it was just in his spirit, not in his body. Oh, yeah, Jesus, he's, he's one of the options out there for knowing God, but he's just one of many gods. You see what I'm saying? It's kind of an acknowledgement, but always making Jesus less than who he is. And number two, hollow and deceptive, and they try and deceive you to follow some other means of salvation. In this case, maybe strict adherence to the law. In our case, when we say, well, God is love, and therefore he just kind of winks at sin. He's going to receive everybody. He's not concerned with any sense of justice or some esoteric higher plane spiritual experience. Or seeking to be one with the universe. But Jesus doesn't give these options. If we're going to worship the, the Jesus of the Bible for who he revealed himself to be, he says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's something we need to be rooted and grounded in. And number two, it depends on human tradition. I'm not necessarily opposed to all traditions, but when we turn it into deification to make giving divine authority to what we've habitually practiced by our own faulty wisdom or for our own convenience, that becomes idolatry. And we do that all the time, don't we? We've always done that. That's the tradition of the elders. Jesus confronts this in Mark chapter 7. You've got some Pharisees who know that one of the commandments is to honor your father and mother. But they've created an outway. Oh, if you devote the funds that you would use to support and honor your elderly father and mother and gave it to the temple as Corbin dedicated to the temple, well, then you, you weren't responsible for that. Wait a minute. Jesus goes, time out. Which came first? God's command or your tradition? 
You have a fine way of nullifying God's Word for your tradition. You need to be careful of that. Even in the church, the church oftentimes takes things that were sacred cows that started out as a good thing and we deify them. We have to be careful about that. And last of all, the elemental spiritual forces, literally the elements of this world. And that could be religious doctrines, whether they be Jewish or Gentile, or the elements as far as cosmic spiritual beings manifest in, in the bodies in the heavens or in the earth, or actually just deifying creation itself, making gods out of creation, earth, wind, fire, water, even animals. We don't know specifically what the heresy was. We don't know what they were trying to convince these Christians to follow after. And I think it's a good thing, actually. You know why? Because Paul's point is not, what was it? Paul's point, it was, it's anything but Jesus. You're called to being follow anyone or anything or put your faith in anyone but Jesus. And because of that, it's hollow, deceptive, dependent on man's wisdom. It's dependent upon the elements of this creation. Rather than the God of creation who gives his life. He dies the death to pay a penalty we can't pay and rises from the dead. And he is the only Savior of men and women in creation. And Paul repeats these things over and over again. And I'm going to repeat these things over and over again to keep us from being deceived, to be distracted from the one who is our true hope, who is our true life, who is our true salvation. So if you hear me saying the same thing over and over again, it's because we need to be rooted and grounded in that. So let me pray, and then I'll have the worship team come and close us. Okay, thank you. So Aaron just shared with me that Chris Bailey... Uh, raced out. I guess Alice Bailey is in the emergency room. So I'd just love to pray for her before we have the worship team come and close us. So, Lord Jesus, you know your servant Alice. She is fearfully and wonderfully made. And now we pray that you'd undertake for her. Give the doctors wisdom. Give the nurses wisdom. Give them great skill but ultimately give Alice a sense of your nearness. Help her to know that you are with her and that you have her in your hands and that you will take care of her no matter the outcome. I pray for Chris and his family as they seek to come alongside of Alice and they will honor her as his stepmother and give glory to you. But we just lift up our sister and we pray that you will heal her of what's going on in her body. Lord Jesus, in your precious name I pray these things. Amen.